Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. We are blessed tonight, amen. Father, we thank you, God. Lord, I just want to thank you for the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the encourager, Lord, the one who bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray for the next few moments that you would help me be a blessing and to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 24. And let's start. Uh, let's start in verse 35. Of all Bible stories, I'd have to say this is one of my favorite. I feel as though God speaks to me through this story uh, over and over again. This is the tail end of the story where Jesus confronts the two men on the road to Emmaus. They were confused. They were upset. Let me back up to verse 23. Jesus was talking with them on the road. And he noticed that they were upset. He could tell that their countenance had fallen. They were stressed. And he asked them, he said, what kind of conversation are you guys having with one another as you walk and are sad? And by the way, I'm in verse 18. I keep backing up. Then the one who was named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you one, uh, the only stranger in Jerusalem, and you've not known the things which happen here in these days? And he said to him, What things? So they said to them, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in word and deed before the Lord and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, they astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And a certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then Jesus said to him, excuse me, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe 
in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his rest? In other words, don't the law and the prophets indicate that these things should have happened exactly as they have happened? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. Now, if you read on, Jesus came and he, he supped with them and he actually lodged with them and he went the distance with them. Our God is an awesome God. I love the way Jesus manifests himself in this story. I can almost feel the sense of humor and the excitement and the desire of the Lord to reveal himself and to reveal the truth of what's happening in such a gentle way to these, what he calls, foolish ones. And if you read on, and I'm going to jump now to verse 36. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. So they were talking about what was happening. These two men that were on the road, as Jesus vanished from their presence... They met up with the other disciples. And I'm just paraphrasing and summarizing there. And let's pick up in verse 36. <clears throat> and now as they said these things, they were reporting what they had seen, what the women had seen at the grave. Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. And when Jesus comes into our lives, and when Jesus manifests himself, in our lives, he brings peace. Hallelujah. God wants us to be at peace and be filled with his peace in our lives. And the greatest manifestation of God in our life is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? So he walks in there. They're all disputing. He says, peace, guys. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Now watch this. This is what the Lord quickened to me before this evening. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now troubled here is, is really, it's, it means mental agitation. And doubts, it's not what you think it might mean. My, my Bible actually has a, a, a partial concordance in it, and it defines this word doubts. Can I read it to you? The word literally is, is dialogimos. It's where we get the English word dialogue. It can be translated thoughts. It's an inward reasoning, a questioning, a consideration, a deliberation, Turning thoughts over in your mind. Mental questions, opinions, dialogue, deliberating, settling accounts, suspicion in the mind, indecision. Does that describe you lately? <laughs> I know it describes me, and, I, and I, I really felt that God wanted me to, has been dealing with me about doubt. And how it can infect so subtly our walk with God. 
And I feel like God wants to just encourage us to expend the energy that we're expending on mental agitation and internal reasoning and doubt. That God wants to ex- us to expend that energy on rest, on praise, on trust, and letting God do the heavy lifting. God, I give this to you. No, I'm not going to go there. You said it, that settles it. And if I had to put a title on this little talk we're doing tonight, it would be, it would be settle it. God said it, that settles it. There's an, uh, an instability in our lives when we're constantly doubting. The Bible tells us in the book of James in the context of praying for wisdom in chapter 1 that God gives liberally wisdom to all who ask, liberally without reproach. But there's a condition to receiving the wisdom from God. And that is that we would ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded and unstable. Watch this now. Not just in this prayer for wisdom, because the context is praying for wisdom, but in all of his ways. And I begin to see this in my life, that, 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 I, that I'm doubting things, and it's so subtle, but there's this internal reasoning and questioning about things related to God. Paul, in his concern for the Hebrew-Roman church, or, or, or I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, but whoever wrote it, the, um, his, his concern was that they had not settled the, what he refers to as the elementary principles of God. He said, listen, guys, these things are not settled in your heart and in your mind. And because they're not settled, because you don't, you haven't moved. Um, so when, when, a, when a builder builds a, a house, I, I, I had the, the vision of my Uncle Joe. I was thinking about my Uncle Joe, who was a mason. And I come from a family of masons. And my brothers used to work for him. And he used to pace along the wall where the Masons were at work. And my brother would impersonate him. He looked like a bulldog. And he would pace back and forth along the wall. And he'd be, he'd be very nervous and anxious because he wanted to make sure that those Masons were mixing the cement correctly, that the line was straight, that the bricks were getting laid effectively. What? Brick upon brick. Are you with me? But you see, we can't build if the bricks beneath and the previous layer are settled and they are set. Furthermore, we are not going to have a straight and stable house, and I'm using a metaphor here, for our lives unless we build upon Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone. The Bible says that there's no other foundation to lay except that which is laid, Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone. Before the modern technology and contracting, the the cornerstone was used to carry all the weight. It set the the line straight of of the building wall. The cornerstone. This is the most important piece, and it's Jesus. But God wants us to build our lives upon that rock, and he wants us to build and settle each stone, each truth, 
and begin to build layer upon layer. But what's happening is, in my life, I, I, I'm doubting. And there's a teetering there. There's an unsettledness there. And because of that, it's stopping progress. Settle it. If God's word says it, it's so. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119. It's settled. Peter said that the grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Psalm 93.5, your statutes, O Lord, they stand firm. And Matthew 24.34, in the context of end time prophecy, of all the things that are going to come upon the earth, Jesus ends this prophetic word with this. Assuredly, I say unto you, in other words, this you can take to the bank. This is going to happen. It's sure. This generation will by no means pass away until all these things are going to take place that I've told you. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the surety of a better covenant. Surety. It's done. When Jesus died on the cross, he cried out with his last breath, it is finished. It's done. It's settled. And God wants us to settle his truths in our heart. God wants us to learn to rest, leaning the weight not upon ourselves, but upon the Lord. We've got to learn to transfer the energy of the nervousness into the energy of trusting, praising and see, when this happens, God has more stake in the game than I do. And he can work on my behalf in ways that I can't work when I begin to settle in my heart the truth of God and put my trust in God because it is him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all I can ask or think according to the power that's at work. Praise the Lord. I was, I was thinking about this uh, as it relates to Rahab the harlot. If you want to go with me into Joshua chapter 2. Let me know the Bible uh, says that God's word, actually if you're, if you're there, I just want to. God's word is personified for us. Do you know what I mean by this? Personified. It's given a personality. The Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4. And then I'm going to go to Joshua 8. Watch this. Hebrews 4 in verse 12. God's Word is living and powerful. Hebrews 4.12. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it is God's Word, I'm adding, God's word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there's no creature that's hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And this fits very nicely with John chapter 1 where the Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. God's word is looking for a place to stay. God's word is looking for a place to where it's going to be made welcome and at home. 
God's word is looking for fertile ground, fertile soil, soil that will be prepared, soil that will be tended, soil that is going to be dedicated to preserving the life of the seed of the word of God so that it can produce what it's meant to produce, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Say amen. The Bible says that the spies were on their way to Jericho. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua the son of Nun sent two men out from Achaia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. So they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. Notice that God's word will go into the most unexpected places, and it'll grow. God's word will go into the most uh, despondent and um, on the outward, horrible-looking situations. And when that word is received, and when that word comes in, that word will produce life no matter where you put it. It's meant to go in the heart of a human being. It's meant to go in the heart of someone that is broken. It's meant to go into a soil that is prepared and that it can break its way through into that heart. And then when that happens, that's when it's going to produce. This was no ordinary woman. This was a harlot. This was a prostitute. Her life was a mess. But the Bible says that those spies came out looking. And, it's, and I'm likening it to the word of God. God's word was looking for a place to lodge for a place to stay, so that it could produce salvation in that house. And the Bible says that Rahab looked upon those guys and she said, you guys can stay here. You can lodge in my house. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to hide you. And we've got to hide God's word in our heart. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to nurture it so that it can produce And then she brought them in and she hid them. And remember that these spies are a picture of the word of God in our hearts. And I love this. In verse 9, verse 8, Now before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof. So she said, here guys, here's your room upstairs. Go on upstairs and this is where you're going to stay. Don't worry, I will make sure that you are protected. Because how many know there was a bustle in that city because the men in that city and the magistrate and the authorities knew that the children of Israel were on the march and that they could be next. And they came to her and they said, Rahab, have you seen these people? And she was willing to suffer persecution for the word's sake. Listen, there are perils that can happen to God's word. In, Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 4, Jesus talks about the perils that can fall, happen to God's Word. He said the birds of the air can come and grab it. It can get trampled. So she said, guys, you're going to be safe. And here's, I love this. She goes upstairs. Guys, I know, verse 9, that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard, verse 10, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, and so on and so forth. And in verse 11, she said, The Lord God, your God, He is the God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. 
This is a girl that had faith in God. This is a gal that had faith in the messengers of God. You see, the spies were the messengers. They were bringing the message of the kingdom. And she says, listen, I've heard and I believe. And because I believe, I'm going to settle the matter. And, I'm going to, and because it's a settled fact for me, because I believe in the Lord God of Israel, I'm going to do something about it. And our action that we so desire to our faith won't happen until we know some things, until we settled some things, until we said, you know what? This is the way it is. This is the truth. No, I'm not going with that. Yes, I understand that that doubt is present, but I'm not going to give that attention. Yes, I understand that that person said that. But by the way, who told you that? Because someone that loves me told me this. Someone that has authority to my heart because he gave his life for me. You see, that's the man that I'm willing to listen to. He has access. He's got the keys to my heart because he came with love and he came with sacrifice and he came into my life. That's the one I'm going to listen to. You say, well, I have another story. I believe that, you know, this study says this and after all, I heard someone say this on CNN and I heard someone say this on the news station. Well, guess what? I am going to go with what God's word says. It's settled. When Jesus came to Jairus, or I should say when Jairus came to Jesus in Mark chapter 5, yeah, I'm jumping real quick here. He fell at his feet and he said, Jesus, would you please come and heal my daughter? She's on the point of death. She's going to die. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus said anything. The Bible says they started walking. But I'm going to make a little inference, and I'm going to assume that maybe Jesus nodded to him. Or he gave him an indication that he was going to go and fulfill that request because they started walking toward his house. And how many know that the servants of that house came and they said, don't trouble the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus' words quickly, do not fear. What? Only believe. Only believe. I want you sold out and I want you settled upon what? Positive thinking? No. Having a positive attitude? There's nothing wrong with a positive attitude, by the way. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't telling him to believe and, you know, all things, worked, uh, all things happened for a good reason or having a positive attitude. No, he wasn't talking about any of that. He said, I only want you to believe what I have said to you. That's all I'm asking. All I'm asking you to do is to believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that I would never lie to you, and that my words are true. Only believe. Settle it. If God says it, it's so. Doubt can rob us. It brings instability into our lives, and it stops God from working. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus could do no mighty work there in that town where he was at, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But he marveled at their unbelief. Notice in Mark chapter 6, you can look this up later, that it doesn't say that Jesus wouldn't do any mighty work there, but that he couldn't do any mighty work there. He said, but wait a minute, he, he's God. If it were his sovereign will to do a mightier work there, then he would have done that. Well, that's not what the Bible says, though. The Bible says that he could not do a mighty work there because of their unbelief. 
And that tells us that our faith plays a role in what God can accomplish in our lives. Pastor reminded me this morning after the, the service what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. He said, Whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. He shall have whatsoever he says. Believing you shall receive. Or in Mark's version it says, Therefore, whatsoever things you pray, believing the things that you have prayed for and you will receive it. I'm quoting it wrong. Say, believe and not doubt. Amen. Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. You see, the enemy is trying to abort, get us to abort the mission. Uh, I, 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 I thought of the metaphor, excuse me, of, a, of an airplane pilot that runs into turbulence. The enemy wants you to punch out, man. Punch out. We're not going to make this mission. That's a lie. Jesus says, you're going to the other side. Settle it in your heart. What has God spoken to you prophetically? What has God uh, put in your heart? What has God said in his word? Settle it. It's true. We were talking. Do you want to tell the story? We were talking um, a couple days ago, and Lisa said, you know, honey, God has quickened, and I don't know if she used that word quickened, but I was reading the Bible, and she said, God, something just came alive to me that I had been praying about, and it's something that I can get a hold of. It's something that I know that God highlighted. He underscored it. It jumped off the page at me. God's talking to me. This is the truth about your situation. So, now, wait a minute. Hold on a second now. Don't go pulling things out of context. We're not going to do that. We believe in context. However, the prophecies of the Old Testament are twofold in nature anyway. Because many of the prophecies of the Old Testament speak to the children of Israel at a specific place and a specific time and a specific purpose in that nation's history. And at the same time, they also speak to a messianic king coming. His name is Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit's even bigger than that. I think he can quicken that prophetic word to you and I, and he can use it to speak to us as well. Amen. Hallelujah. God's word is alive and powerful. And God, the, the, I'll dare say this, the primary way God speaks to our hearts is through his word. So she said, honey, I'm so excited. I've got something that I can get a hold of in this situation. I'm not letting it go. I said, amen, I'm in. So you say, well, this sounds great. But practically speaking, how can I rid my life of doubt? How can I begin to settle some things and begin to get firmly grounded in what God says? A couple of thoughts. John Bevere did a study of psychology as he was, God was leading him in a certain direction. And you can look this up on YouTube. But he began to study medical journals and medical studies, and, and really what he was looking at are neuropathways in the mind. And as he was studying neuropathways, 
what he found was that neural pathways, thoughts, right? Neural pathways are always looking for the easiest route. They're always looking for the path of least resistance. And that's the way it is for you and I. We have patterns of thought that are going on, that are, that are kind of built in, that we have been often even trained as children because the enemy comes when we're children and tries to train us in unbelief, in fear. He'll use people. He'll use iniquity. But these are paved roads. Let me give you a visual. If you were to walk up to a wooded area, woods in front of you, and you've got to get to the other side, would you try to walk through the thick, densely wooded area of the trees, or would you look for a path to go through? This is the same way. Well, here's the deal. Every time we think certain thoughts, it strengthens what's called the dendrite in the brain, and that neural pathway gets stronger, and we naturally think things that we've been thinking before. And God is calling us to be trailblazers and to recognize, number one, that thought that's not based upon God's word. And we could see it manifesting on the outside. Listen, very quickly, the Bible says that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things that we see came from things that we do not see. And I didn't quote this this morning, and I want to do it now. What does that mean? That means that the stability and the surety of the things that we see in the natural order are held together by things we can't see. The Bible says that literally the world is held together by the word of God. So the things that are happening externally in our lives are a, are a product of what's happening internally in our hearts. The Bible teaches us that the heart flows the issue of life. So we've got to recognize. We've got to go to the source. We've got to say there's a lie there. There's something I'm believing there that's not true. We've got to recognize it. And then we've got to root it out like a weed in a garden. And then we've got to plant what God says into that hole. Recognize the pitfalls that we fall into again and again. God says, recognize it. Find, rip it out. Put my word in and life will be produced. And then we've got to maintain it. But God wants, and I'll just close with this. God wants to give us starting power. God wants us to get off the block. You hear a word like this, you think that sounds good, but where do I start? Number one, we've got to look to God and not to the problem. God says, you've got to take a vacation from your problem. Look unto me. David says, where cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord. We've got to look to God and let faith begin to arise in our hearts. Number two, we've got to see the end. We've got to see what God's word says, and we've got to dream with it. We've got to imagine whether the enemy's done enough with our imaginations negatively, God wants us to take his word and begin to imagine and see ourselves the way God sees us. And then number three, we've got to take that word and we've got to again and again and again. And this is a picture of meditation. Think of the road in the wilderness, the neural pathway. We've got, to, we've got to build a new road, and then we've got to keep going over it and going over it and going over it. My brother just built a house, and I'm constantly yelling at him. I'm saying, where's the driveway? Every time I drive onto this stuff, I'm a, I hear crackling under my tires. I'm a, you know, 
And he says, listen, I've got to pound it down, brother. The crusher runs down there, and I gotta let you, you gotta go over it, and you gotta go over it, and you gotta go over it, and then you put the, the black top down. We gotta go over it with God's word again and again. Say again and again. Oh, I know that word. I know that scripture. Hold on a second. It's not settled in our hearts, because if it were settled in our hearts, it would be producing life. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I don't want to go too long. Father, we just thank you, God, that your word is forever settled in heaven. Father, we thank you, God, that doubt can rob us, even as it did the children of Israel. The Bible says that they could not enter the promised land because of unbelief. They could not enter the rest that you had for them because they didn't mix your word with faith. God, help us to settle your word, to say, God said it, that's it, it's over, I accept it. I believe it. And I am not going to move from it. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. He said, I know that persecution and chains await me, but none of these things move me. I'm not moving away from God's word. I'm not moving away from God's plan for my life. It's settled because I know him whom I believe. And I believe that he's able to keep what I have committed to him. And I feel like God wants us to become settled. Yes, I want you to rest. I want you to let me do the heavy lifting. Put your trust in me. Settle my word in your hearts and learn to rest in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.